can make thousands of decisions through our lives. So I think it's an important thing to, to sort of think like, how can God help with that? Because there's so many of them we have to make and some of them, some of them have vast ranging consequences in our lives. Like, so when Phil asked me to speak today, apart from being like, oh no, um, I was just like, okay, what, what am I going to speak on? Um, so sometimes it's good to have a bit of guidance in that respect too. Um, but not only that, I've just realized I've only got six slides today. So that might have been a bad decision too, so we'll have to see. Um, but anyone who's sitting next to you and is looking forward to their Sunday dinner would be happy to hear that. Um, but apart from that, um, decision making is a, a constant burden we face. Um, it's unavoidable. We make thousands in a day. Um, and what's worse, we're, we're not well equipped to make decisions. Unlike God, we don't have all the information. Um, so we don't know what the important decisions are. And unlike God, who's all powerful, we can't control the outcomes. So we make decisions every day and we don't know if it have dire consequences, well, dire or major consequences for our life. And what's even worse, we can't even ascertain which are the most important decisions we make. So I know a lot of people, especially young people, and who think really hard about, okay, what am I, what am I gonna do with my life? What, what course am I gonna choose? That's a common one I always hear. Um, should I choose to go this way or that way? And obviously they think, which, which is just perfectly fine, this is gonna have a massive effect on my life, which is fair enough. But we, that could be wrong in a sense that, okay, you think that's a really important decision, but there's a decision I can make. A, a lot of you know I cycle a lot. Some random day I choose I'm gonna go for a cycle this morning. The consequences of that decision if I say, well, God forbid, was in a traffic accident or something like that, could have vast repercussions for the rest of my life. So we don't even know which are the most important decisions. So that's why I thought it'd be good today to just look at like God's role, God's plan, and his guidance in our life. So over the next couple of minutes, um, I'm just gonna maybe just try and break it down into three points. What is God's plan? Um, how can we recognize his guidance? And how should we respond to that? So we'll quickly pray before we move on. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just, we just thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you that you have a plan, Lord, and that you are there for us, Lord, and that you care for us and you're our shepherd. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Okay, so before we go on, throughout this message, I'll be referring back to the Old Testament a good bit because I think there's a, a certain period in the Old Testament which really hammers home the fact that God is a guiding God. And that is in Exodus. Now, I don't know if any of you know, so the children of Israel, who were God's chosen people, were in captivity. They were slaves to Egypt, which were pretty much uh, a superpower back then. Think of them as the America, Russia of today. And uh, we, Israel is like Northern Ireland. So they've invaded, they're, they're slaves to Egypt. And they've been slaves to Egypt for centuries. So that's all they've known, essentially. Um, but God made a promise to their forefathers that he would save them and he would bring them to their promised land, the land he promised them, their home. Um, so from that point of view, God, what we can see, God had a plan for his people and God's character doesn't change and his plan doesn't change. Um, but not only that, I think it's worthwhile looking at it from the point of view of God's character to understand if he's there for, for to guiding, from guiding us and if he's got a plan for us, I think it's important to look to see um, about his character because you can learn a lot about a person's character. You can learn how they respond and how they're going to treat their people. So first of all, we're going to look at, is it on the proceeding? We'll go to the next slide, Nathan. So who is God? Um, and then when we look at that, I, I, I pull out three key trends of characteristics of God, which really influence who he is as a guiding God. So first of all, we have the sovereign creator. OK, 
Okay, I'll read it from the screen. Um, so when we go to the word in Matthew 10, 29, we read, um, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid, you are worth more than many sparrows. Okay, so from what we can hear, we recognize from this is that God is a God of details. There's nothing that goes that he doesn't, he doesn't know about. He doesn't recognize, he doesn't allow it to happen. He is the creator, he is the sustainer, he is the king. He has a plan and he will see it through for his purposes. Um, from, we can see from the stories in the Bible in the Old Testament, God is strong enough to, he brought plagues in order to change and bring into effect that which he wanted to happen on this earth. And not only that, but his power is shown in what he can do. The fact that he split the Red Sea in itself, like this is the power that we're talking about. This is a sovereign creator who is willing to go to, to, go to any lengths and has the power at his disposal to, to make sure his purposes come into being. But not only that, this is the most surprising one of Lord of all. Um, God is the shepherd of his people. So in the Old Testament, it actually refers to God as the shepherd of Israel. He guides them, he, um, he looks after them, he shows them the path to go. Now, I, I thought this was, um, a lot of us have this image of a shepherd. We'll see like in you know, biblical, um, we pictures it to show the kids and stuff like that, of a nice shepherd man, he leans on, you know the big crooked staff? He leans on them and he's like talking to his sheep and then giving them a wee, patting them on the head and all that. It's all very gentle, it's all very gentle. And go, oh, go this way sheep please, just this way. Um, but reality is a lot different. Um, a shepherd um, with that big crook staff, he generally grabs him by the scruff of the neck and says, go this way. Um, so from that point of view, as God, as a shepherd, he knows the path he wants his flock to go, his people, and he is there to guide them along it. And he, that role is what we really have to hammer home here. As a shepherd, there is a role for God that, that he has adopted that role into telling us and showing us the path he wants us to trend, to, to, to go, that he has set before us. Um, but not only that, if we look at, um, so the verse in Psalm 23, verse 2, not only is he the shepherd of us collectively as a group, as his people, but he's our personal shepherd. So when we read in the Psalms 23, David writes, he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. So he's our personal shepherd. So not only is God the shepherd of his people collectively all together, but he has a word for us individually, as it says in the scripture. For me, he is the word for you, he is the word for me, and what his plan is for us in guiding us forward. Um, so I think that's very important for us all just to recognize that there's a, pet, there's a personal guidance he has for us. And we all need to recognize that and we'll find that, but we'll get onto that in time being. But then lastly, the third point about his character I think it's worthwhile highlighting is God as the planner. Thank you, Nathan, good timing. Um, so we're reading Mark. So Mark chapter eight, verse 31. This is Jesus, so Jesus speaking, he said, he then, be he then began to teach them that the son of God, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the te teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Okay, so Peter, the follower of Christ, took son, son of God and brought him aside and rebuked him because he said this. Now, what Peter didn't realize is that 
God, what the God described in the Bible is not, he doesn't see history as just a, a succession of random events. If you look at the Old Testament, God has everything planned out and everything links to everything else. And this is happening over thousands of years. So if we go back to the very start, when Eve at the fall, God said to them, she, he would use his, her seed to bruise the serpent's head, like the serpent being um, the devil. So um, not only that, with Abraham, generations after that, she said he, she made a promise to him that he will, his, from through his line will, will be the savior will come. And that, that covenant was reestablished through Moses, then through David, and then that finally came about with Christ. So what we have to realize is there's nothing random going on with any of this that's happened. There's a plan that's been set and it's going through the motions. And though we can't see it, we can't see it now, when, it's only when you step back and you see it all before you, if you, if you read the, the scriptures that you realize it's so structured, there's a plan there. There's a beginning, there's a middle and an end. We're not at the end. Well, the end comes forth when the fulfillment of the scriptures through Jesus Christ. But when you read it, you realize that God is a, a God of plans. Um, and that's what we're, when we're reading the scripture here, Jesus knew that and he said, son of man must die. So that's why I've highlighted you must because it's been planned, it's been put, the past has been put down. There's nothing that can be done about it. God has decided this is the way it's gonna happen. God is a planner. He has, he has put it down, and, and so if he plans it, it's going to happen. Now, the thing is, God can use even the inconceivable. So Peter here rebuked Jesus when he said this. He said, no, 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 that can't happen. That's not the, that's not the plan. You know what I mean? That's, that can't happen to you. You know what I mean? He thought you were the Messiah. He thought he, Jesus was going to rule the way he thought he was going to rule, but God had another plan because God had already dictated back in the Old Testament how the Son of God would be treated. In this, in, back in the Old Testament, all the things that happened to Jesus were predicted. They were foretold according to God's plan. So Jesus knew this. Jesus understands God's plan because he is God. And he, put, he, he realized this when he was trying to tell them like, what to expect. So the thing is, God uses what was meant for bad from, from our point of view. And he uses it for good, for his purposes. So um, that's, I think Christ's suffering is maybe the most pertinent example of that where with something meant for wrong, God used for good. I think another good example is um, of Joseph and his eight brothers. That's a story in the Old Testament where Joseph, maybe he was a wee bit boastful, but anyway, um, he had eight brothers and he had dreams and he was his father's favorite. So it's never good to tell your siblings that you're the favorite. It doesn't go down well. But um, yeah, so his, his brothers were a bit annoyed with him. So they pretty much sold him into slavery which wasn't a good thing to do. Um, I'm sure he took that pretty badly. So he they sold him into slavery, and then he ended up being a slave in Egypt. So that's, that's a pretty terrible consequence there, but God had a different plan for him. So th the story goes on, and Joseph um, serves in the house of the Egyptian rulers, and he wins, because he lives a godly life, he wins uh, prominence where he has been placed. You know, he didn't, he didn't get, get fed up with sort of, oh, I can't believe I'm in this place. This is not going well for me. He didn't like throw out. He knew God had a plan for him. He kept, he kept close to the word. He kept praying. And um, well, he ended up becoming almost like the prime minister of Egypt, the place where he was sold to, to be a slave. So years go down the line and a, big, a great famine 
uh, occurs in Joseph's old home where his brothers and his family all live. And they're, they're all starving. So they go to Egypt to um, ask for great food grain, to bring food back home because where there's no food, so that's where they have to go. So they go to Egypt and they go and to ask to see the ruler because Joseph at this stage is in charge of all the grain stores. He's, he, he dictates who gets what. So he's gone from nothing, and, but because he, he stayed trusting in the Lord, he's, he rose up and he was, over par, he, is, he was almost as powerful as Pharaoh at this stage. And so his brothers walk in, this is years after, and then walk towards him. And only they look up and realize who he is. And then they're, they're really afraid. They're trampling. They think, okay, we're for it now. But God, uh, Joseph forgives them. But what he says to them is very pertinent. He, said, he says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. So they, they didn't know. They made a decision and they didn't know what the consequences of that were. But God knew. God had a plan in which he would, he, in the future, he saw what Joseph would become and how he could help his home and his brothers through that situation. So I think that's a good, uh, a good example of how God uses sort of the inconceivable, the things that we think are failures or wrongs, and he uses them for his good according to his plan. So I think it just hammer that home. So just to summarize what we've seen, God has a track record of, having, of guiding his people, of having a plan. Not only that, when you look at his character, you know, he's all powerful, he's strong enough and powerful enough to have his will come to pass. Not only that, but he, he wants to have a relationship with his people, so he wants the best for us. He wants to guide us. And not only that, but God is a God of plans. He has, he has a way we want to go, and he will direct that, us in that way and make sure it happens. He makes sure it will come to pass. Okay, so now that we know that God has it, what it, now that we know God guides us, but where does he want us to go? What is God's plan? Um, so, uh, if you go on to the next slide, brilliant. Um, God's plan for us is to, just as in the Old Testament, to rescue his people. When we, to rescue us, it was, well, pretty much the rescue plan is Jesus Christ. So Jesus' death and resurrection was, was freeing us from sin, just the way he saved his, uh, his people from slavery. We are enslaved to sin when we were born. So Christ's sacrifice on the cross saves us, just as the way as it saved his people. And not only that, but when when uh, God saved his people from slavery in Egypt, he brought them through the wilderness to get to the promised land. And that's a type and shadow of us, once we become saved, going to our final destination, which is heaven. So we read in Ephesians verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he proposed in Christ, to put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven on earth together, under one head, even Christ. So um, the real plan for God, as I said, was when, when Jesus comes and, and through his sacrifice and his blood, he saves us, knowing that it, um, when, we, when we come under him, we become redeemed, we're chosen, we're adopted through Jesus, and we're saved, and our ultimate goal is to get to heaven. Um, but, not only, but not only that, God says that he plans in once we become saved and become his children, he has planned in, in advance good works for us to do. So it's not the case where, woohoo, we're all saved, we don't have to do anything. Before that, God had already planned good works for us to do throughout our lives, before we reach our eternal home. So, um, now that we know this, does this mean our choices are irrelevant? God's got a plan, he's gonna make them happen, because he's all powerful. Um, does that mean our choices are irrelevant? 
Well, the answer to that is no. Because how we respond to God's plan has a great detriment on how we lead our Christian walk. Um, when God saved the Israelites and brought them out of Egypt, a lot of them didn't make it to the promised land because they just they didn't trust, they didn't respond to God in the way that he had planned. So um, how does God, how should we respond to God's plan for us in our lives? So throughout the New Testament, um, the apostles really brought forward the message that um, how we should respond to God's plan in our lives will have a detriment in how we really, how powerful we are in our walk for him. So in Acts 20, um, it, we find that says this, I have declared to both Jews and Gentiles that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. So, sounds a bit simple, doesn't it? Um, so two, two points. The right response given God's plan for our lives is one, to repent, and two, have faith. So repentance, like Phil's talked about this a lot in the past, repentance as a definition is simply turning around. Now, as a people, when we're born, no one needs to know this. Like, when we're born, we're selfish. When we're born, we live for ourselves. Everyone, everyone is exactly the same. Um, we get it from our mother's milk, so to speak. Um, we work, everything we do, it's, it's for our own benefits, or it's, it's, you know, it's, it's all for us in a way, but we're turned to repent from that. When we become a child of God, we turn to like, care for others, to love our neighbor. And in that sense, we have to make a decision, a conscious decision, for turn around, it's a change of heart and to move forward in that sense. Um, and then secondly, to have faith. And like a lot of times, there seems to be an almost mystical sort of opinion of faith. It's like some people think they have it and some people think they don't. But in essence, faith is just trust. So to trust God, and that's what it means. It means just, just to trust him. It's not, it's not the case. I've heard people saying, I just don't have any faith, but everyone's got faith. It's just the object of your faith which is the important thing. So those are the right ways to respond, but there's, there's always, I've heard, about, I've read there's some misunderstandings of that there's, there's such a thing as false repentance, and I'm gonna to get too deep into this, because this is a rabbit hole I'm not gonna go into right now, but um, there's, uh, when you think of this, it's like, think, I think marriage is a good example. So when someone gets married, it's, it's, a, it's a change in the way they walk their life. It's a change, it's, as I said, it's a change in heart. So for example, if two people get married, they give up their old way of life, like living singly, if you know what I mean, and stuff like that. So it'd be really weird if two people got married and went on their honeymoon and came back and said, right, I'll see you, see you later. You, you go back to your house and I go back to mine. You know what I mean? It's, that's, that's not the way it works. It's a decision you make at a point in time and that impacts how you walk going forward after that. So <laughs> it, seems, it seems strange to put it that way, but when we make, today, in today's world, because we're so driven by feelings and emotions, Sometimes we mix up repenting and feeling sorry for something. Like that's, that's all well and good. And, and when some people repent, they feel sorry, it's true, but there has to be that conscious decision to change the way we walk going forward. Like someone gets married, you just don't turn around and say, I'm not married anymore. If you know it, well, you know, I'm not gonna act like I'm not married anymore. When you get married, you act like you're married, sort of thing. So it's, it's about that change of heart, which is the important thing. But then there's a, incorrect when it comes to faith there's a, an incorrect appreciation of what faith is i've heard it said where some people says I, I just wish i had your faith or something along those lines as if faith is, is a commodity someone can like you know carry around with them in a sense everyone's got faith because faith is trust in something right now you've all got faith in your seats 
You know what I mean? Because you're all sitting on them. You all trust that they're going to hold your weight. So you've got faith enough for your seats. So it, it comes, it's not, as I said, it's not about having faith comes to not, not about the, the uh, it's not about just having something, having the faith. It's what your faith's in. And if your faith is in God, well, it's not mis misplaced because we know his track record. We know his character. So that's, that is a strong foundation for a person's faith to be in. So I think that's, that's an, important, an important misunderstanding to not, to not to dwell on. But, and almost with faith also, it's important that we have an active faith. Because a lot of people, well, I've heard it said that like when you have, there's like a passive faith we can have. I know a faith that God's plan will come, into, come to completion. But then it's almost like, I don't have to do anything then. You know what I mean? God's going to make it happen. I'll just going to sit here and watch it happen. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says faith without works is dead. So if there, if if you don't, from that change of heart, if you're not, if there's not in you to in which to act in a certain way, coming from that faith, then then chances are it's not really alive. So faith has to be active. That's not to say. This is why this is confusing. It's that's not to say that sometimes the best course of action is not to do anything, but only if God directs you in that way. So it's not doing things and deeds doesn't mean a lack of faith. It's disobedience was a lack of faith. So sometimes if you're told to do nothing and wait, that's fine, that's faith, if you're told to do that by God. But also if you're told, if you're told and you've, it says in scriptures to do something and you don't do it, disobedience is a lack of faith. So it's not a lack of doing anything. So that's another point I thought I'd highlight there. But so now that we know some common misunderstandings, how do we not respond to God's plan? Now I thought I'd broke this under three headings. This is a long slide, isn't it? I'm getting a lot out of this slide. Um, so how not to respond to God's plan? First of all, we shouldn't reject, reject God's power. There's a lot of occasions where now competent people are usually um, more susceptible to this. And there's a parable in the Bible where Jesus refers to it, where a wealthy man makes plans. So he says, today I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do business here, and do business here. And so he's made his own plans, but he hasn't left space for God to move in that. And then the Bible says, Go, you fool, today your life will be, will be requested of you. So it's all well and good also having all these plans, but if we don't have put a space for God to be in them, then it's, it's wasted because it doesn't, it doesn't agree with him. And not only that, but there's this, I've heard it said there's almost, by, by certain Christians anyway, but that there's God's second best, or they have the view that there's God's second best because they've made a decision. And they think, oh, because I've made that decision, then I haven't, I, I'm not getting what God's planned for me. But that rejects God's power in itself because it's sort of suggesting that somehow our freedom to make decisions influences his plan. And that's, that's rejecting God's, God's power because God can complete his, his ways even with us. Even with, like I've given examples where people have acted in, in a certain way that's against God's character, but he was able to achieve what he wanted to achieve even though they acted in a certain way. So I think that's important. And if you read, I don't have the verse up, but I've got it written down here for myself, which doesn't help you, but I'll read it out anyway. Um, so in James 4, verse 13 and 16, it says, now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry out our business. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? 
you're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you just, you but boast and brag. So that's the example of where we make, we make our own plans, but we don't, we don't like put a space for God to move in that. and don't realize that he allows everything to happen. He's got his own plan and uh, we, don't, we don't put ourselves in that, in that position to really, to really walk within that. But secondly, um, sometimes we reject God's generosity. So often I've heard it said, um, it, it's, it's difficult for when things happen for Christians to sort of realize that God knows what's good for them. Um, we've always got an, our own opinion of like what's good for us. And if we're denied certain things, then we're like, oh, I can't believe this. I can't do that, but I really, I really like that. That's good for me. But the thing is, we as people have really a bad judgment of what is good for us. Sometimes we think, oh, that's good for us, but actually it's actually it's not. That won't make us happy. God knows what makes us happy. He knows what's good. So when God has his plan, we have to fall in line with that because we have to realize unhappiness in life doesn't come from those things. It comes from, it comes from sin. So um, a good example of that is um, in the Garden of Eden when Eve was tempted by Satan uh, Satan used this, this principle in which to tempt her and uh, trying to get her to um, sort of just doubt God's motives. So God told them they could eat of any tree of the, of the, of the garden except one, uh, the, knowledge, the tree of knowledge. So this, the serpent said to her, why does God not want you to eat off that one? Surely it's good fruit. You know, and you, you're, you'll know all things. When you, you'll be like God when you eat that. You know, that's good. Why, why, is he, why is he saying that? Is he trying to deny you something? So that's how she tempted how, how, she te how Satan tempted Eve. And it's the same way for us. Sometimes when we're denied certain things, we think, oh, I'm being denied something, I'm missing out. But really we don't know. Like that thing we think we're missing out on is actually no good for us. There's no happiness down there. We, we, don't, we can't judge what's happy. God knows what's happy, what will make us happy. He knows what's good. So we really have to fall in line with that plan. And lastly, we reject God's way. So... God has already mapped out a, a route for us, but sometimes when we think, oh, that's, that doesn't look good, that looks hard, it's easy for us to sort of reject God's plan for us. It's like, no thanks, that's, that's a wee bit too tough, but we, that comes from a lack of trust with God also. Not only that, um, there's an example of, yet again, going back to the children of Israel, they made a lot of mistakes. If you ever read the Bible, they made a lot of mistakes, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of good stuff to go off there. There's one point where Egypt was going to, um, no, the Assyrian army, which was like an unstoppable, they were hundreds of thousands of men were going to invade, invade Israel and they were panicking. So God actually said, and this is one of the times in the Bible where God actually says to them, trust me and do nothing. Um, but they didn't, they rejected God's way and they said, no thanks, these guys are coming, we need to do something. So what they did is they went and made a pact with um, Israel's enemy, Egypt. So the, the guys who they broke away from previously, they went and had a pact with them and that had consequences because they had no faith, they, their faith wasn't strong. They didn't trust in the Lord's plan for them. So um, that, that's just an example of how they rejected God's way and how it had consequences for them down the line. So that's all well and good. So we know God is a guiding God. God has a plan for us. But what about, what about now? How does God guide us now? So we know that God works behind the scenes in order to, to bring his, his plans into completion. But how does he guide us now? So in the past, God used many ways to guide his people. There was dreams, I think there's talking animals, visions, 
burning bushes for Moses. He used all these. So what does it say in the scripture? So in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many, many and in various ways, like all those things I mentioned. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So God can really guide his people in any way he's so, he's, he sees fit. But the way he's done it in the past doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to do it that way in the future. And there's, so a lot of people sort of almost get, they get so anxious about making decisions. Oh, I'm waiting for this, I'm waiting for this sign, I'm waiting for this sign, that they almost, they all miss out. Now, the, the big change that's happened since the Old Testament and the New, obviously, is Jesus is coming. So Jesus changed everything. And what we see in this verse is that in the last days, he has spoken through us, to us through his son. So, and when we think about that, God, God's word, God's character, Jesus' word is in his Bible. So when we, read the, in, read, when we read the Bible, we're seeing his character, we're seeing his nature, and we, we're, that's God directly speaking to us. So sometimes, in a way, we have to think about that, that liberates us, in a sense, because a lot of people can sort of think they're trying to interpret every single whim. Oh, does God want me to do this? Does God want me to do that? God will achieve his purposes. We are but to trust and obey his word. So we've got essentially the instruction manual. So we shouldn't concentrate on all these whims and all these different things when really God's shouting at us through his Bible. And it's really just taking the time to really read it and listen to what he's saying. So I think that's all I have to really say on that. So as I ask the band to come forward, um, really I just want to hammer home the fact that God is a good God who has a plan for us. His character shows from the Old Testament to the New he has a plan which he is going to, it's going to come about. And we have a role to play in it. We have, um, not only that, he's got a plan that's going to, it's going to come about. He's going to work behind the scenes and make it happen. But he asks us to respond in a certain way, which really, which really hammers home and brings us into line with him. Um, and not only that, but he's given us his own word to guide us in the decisions we make going forward. So we should have confidence in that. Like God will bring us home. He, he's, he said it's going to happen. He's planned it. And we just have to trust in him and walk it until we reach there. So um, I'm just going to pray finally, just to close out. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you, we can really f just jump into your word, Lord, Lord, that you will really guide us, Lord, and bring us, bring us to that destination. Lord, just help us to have trust in you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So um, just going forward, we're going to go into our next worship song, and then we're going to have communion at the back. And if you're, if you're a believer... And God asks us through his word, be obedient, be obedient, and uh, we take our communion in remembrance of what he has done for us. So if, for his sacrifice, we, uh, we remember his body that was broke through the bread and the blood that was spilt through the wine. So um, let's go into worship. <laughs> 